you'll turn in your Bibles, we're going to be looking in chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Today we're going to be starting a brand new series that we're entitled Mirror Image. Let me get this. Let me get this stand. We'll be looking in Daniel chapter 6. We're starting a brand new series that we've entitled Mirror Image. Look at that, and it looks a little different, a little weird, something you might see from a movie. But uh, one thing that we all share in common, I believe, most of us anyway, don't tell any other one otherwise, but when you start off your day before you ever leave your house, most of us will go and we'll look in the mirror, right? right? Some of you guys are like, Really? All right, don't look at your spouse. You don't have to give them away. But most of us, before we ever leave the house, will look in the mirror. We want to make sure that everything's in its proper place, make sure everything looks right. And uh, the reason why we look at a mirror is because the mirror never lies. It reveals things as they really are. Now, some of you, you're like, man, I wish, I wish it was better. Like, I'm starting to see my hair fade. My wife's telling me not to bend over so people don't see my bald spot anymore. All right, so, uh, uh, but the, the fact of the matter is when you look at a mirror, the mirror reveals things as they really are, not as you want them to be, but as they genuinely are. Did you know that the Bible is also compared to being a mirror? Uh, the Bible says in James chapter 1, we'll put it up here on the screen, uh, James chapter 1, verse 23, says this. All right, James chapter 1, verse 23, it says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding uh, his natural face in a glass, or you could say in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goes, goeth his way, and straight, straightway forgetteth what manner of man he is. The Bible is able to reveal what our inner person is like. Not as we hope to be, but what? As we genuinely and truly are. The scripture is able to reveal our inner character. You know, uh, we live in a day where more people are uh, concerned about their reputation than they are their character. You believe that? Uh, we are all about the outward appearances to the point that we totally neglect the inner person at all. People are more concerned with their reputation than character. You're like, well, what, what would you say is the difference between those things? Well, reputation is what you would appear to be on the outside. Your character is what you know you are on the inside. Your reputation, can uh, it's what people think you're like, but your inner character is what God knows that you're like on the inside. Very different from each other. It's like a lady I heard about. Her name was Carolyn. And she was going in, she was going to be seeing a brand new doctor she had never seen before. She goes into this doctor and the doctor's reviewing the 17 pages of her extensive medical history. And when she waited patiently until the doctor finally got, it, got finished reading through all of her report, and the, the doctor looked at her and said, ma'am, you look better in person than you do on paper. You know, when I thought about that, there's a lot of people that they look better on paper than they do in person. You know, we live in a time where people, if we were going to be honest, we've seen the death of character in our country. If you don't believe that, you go back and you research what's happened with character in our country, and you'll notice that there is a trend that's going, that character is on the decrease, and reputation and what people appear to be is on the increase. People no longer care about uh, being a person of integrity. People no longer care about character and, and keeping your word. Those are things that are commonplace when we run into people that it's automatically assumed that not everybody uh, is going to do what they say they're going to do. Look at politics. I mean, we could go to so many different avenues and we would find that uh, we've seen the death of character in our country. We're more concerned with what we appear to be than what we actually are. Uh, a recent Gallup poll found that Americans, when they consider the trajectory of our country, 72% conclude that the state of moral values in the U.S. is getting worse. I sat there and think 72%, it, surely it should be higher than that. 72% say the moral values are getting worse. You're like, well, Ryan, what are the avenues that we see that? Look at the road rage. We live in Nashville. You know how bad the traffic is here? 
You've seen the increase of road rage that people, I mean, uh, we've had people get shot out here on I-65 because of just traffic. I mean, we, we see that kids are cheating in school. Uh, we see parents that, that, that they cheat on their tax returns. Um, we, I could just, one thing after another I could go through. I, I've always been uh, surprised. Uh, back when I was teaching Bible here at the school, I can remember, like, even numbers of students that would cheat on a Bible. T- I would guilt the mess out of those kids. And then, but then I was like, yeah, it's God, it's the Bible. You're cheating in the Bible. All right. So anyway, that's enough of my rant. But my, my point is that you look across our country, even if you look at the news most recently, you see the Houston Astros, uh, the fact that they were using technology to steal signs in order to get an, a, an, a competitive advantage so that they could win. And they won a World Series with it, and it wasn't even taken away from them. I mean, we're just... <laughs> Some people are better. I'm sure our kid. All right, but here's the point is that we've def- definitely seen what's happened in our country is that uh, the, the, the moral decline is, is prevalent. It's easily seen. And the reason why is that we care more about what we look like than what we actually are. And folks, as believers of those that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, there ought to be a difference in our life, in our integrity, in our character than the world that we live in. But the sad reality is, and you, you know it as well as I do, that there's very little difference between Christians and the world today. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.8, it says, For bodily exercise profiteth little. That, that, that's like the greatest verse ever if you don't like exercise. All right, but the, the, it's saying that it's, it, do, it is profitable because it's good for this life. But notice what he, Paul says. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. What Paul was saying is this. When you exercise yourself in your character in godliness, it's something that is profitable both in this life and what? the life to come. When you focus on your inner person, on your character rather than just your reputation, it's a thing that's profitable to you as a believer because it offers promise in this life and the life to come. You've all heard the saying, just the tip of the iceberg. You ever heard that before? When we say that, what we're talking about is that uh, the majority of an iceberg lies where? Below the surface. We talk about that. This, if you've ever seen an iceberg or a glacier, the thing is, is that this thing is massive, but the majority of what you see is just that part that's above the surface. But did you know that roughly about seven-eighths of an iceberg lies where? Beneath the surface. The majority of it is b- below surface. It's the part that you can't even see. In the same way, our character is more important than that small part that everybody can see above the surface. But folks, let me tell you this is the reason why we have to study a topic like this. Can I tell you that the reason why marriages break up, the reason why we see moral decline, the reason why we uh, we see families torn apart, the reason why uh, we we see that uh, lives are destroyed is the reason is because seven-eighths of of our inner person. It's, it's underneath the surface. It's the part that nobody sees. We don't focus on those. We would rather focus on just the tip of the iceberg than everything else. What we want to do over the next several weeks is this. We want to begin to ask ourselves the question, if I had the inner traits that God would want me to have, what would they be? What are the areas of my inner person that I can begin to develop that would make me more Christ-like in 2020? What are the areas that I should be working on that I can work on my inner person as opposed to just focusing on what everybody sees on the outside? Today, what we're going to look at is the very first subject that we're looking at is this, integrity. Integrity is such a key thing to living the Christian life. The word integrity comes from the word that means whole or complete. You're like, well, what do you mean by that? It means that it's undivided. If I was going to give you the the Webster Dictionary version of what integrity is, it means honesty and having strong moral principle. 
And what it means is the fact that when we're honest and we have moral principle, both in our private life and also in our public life, that there's no division between who we are privately and who we are publicly. Folks, it's really hard to find people that way, isn't it? That the same person that, that, that they are privately away from everybody else is the same person that they are publicly when they're in front of other people. What I want us to do is we're going to look at the life of a man that was the epitome of integrity. Immediately, your mind would probably go to the man named Daniel. Daniel, we know his name because he was a man of integrity. He was the same person. As a matter of fact, as we look at Daniel, you'll notice that from Daniel chapter 1 to Daniel chapter 6, he's the same person. He's an incredible man. You, you would say, well, Ryan, immediately you begin to think of Daniel, you think of what? The lion's den. Can I tell you that the most important part about Daniel was not the lion's den? It was what he did that got him in the lion's den was what made Daniel such an incredible man. What I want us to see today is this, is that a characteristic trait that believers should have in their inner person is this one characteristic, this trait called integrity. The undivided life, the same person you are in private is the same person you are publicly. Let's look at this and what we'll see is what does it take to live a life of integrity? The very first thing that we see in Daniel's life was this. We see that there's the test of integrity. When you live in this world, your integrity is going to be tested. Everybody around you is cutting corners, taking shortcuts, making uh, things good for their life, even to the detriment of other people. And what we find is that Daniel, although he spent only one night in a lion's den, did you recognize that Daniel spent 70 years among, amongst pagan kings, amongst a pagan culture, and not only that, but amongst government officials? Do I need to go any further? If your integrity is ever going to be untested, it's going to be when you're working with people that are in government. There you go. Now, let's look at this because Daniel, his integrity was tested in three different ways. The very first one is the test of prosperity. The test of prosperity. Daniel chapter 6, let's look at verses 1 and 2. It says this. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might, be, might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Now, for you to understand a little bit about this background is that Daniel... He's roughly about 85 to 90 years old in Daniel chapter 6. Um, most people would say that he's looking more at retirement. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you look back at his, what he had been doing previously, Daniel had just come out of retirement in Babylon. You remember that when the, the king, uh, Belteshazzar, basically, he, uh, he had seen the writing on the wall, and they had to call Daniel out of retirement to come and read to him what, that, what it was written on the wall. So here's Daniel. He served uh, uh, over 70 years probably in government. He served underneath two kingdoms, Babylon and the Medo-Persian Empire. He served underneath three kings, okay? This is a guy that is um, pretty experienced, wouldn't you say? But he's going to be underneath a brand new king. Uh, his name is Darius. Now, you're like, most of you aren't, you know, like historians. So uh, Darius, most people think that Darius was his title. It wasn't his name. The name Darius means holder of the scepter. He was like, uh, the, the word Darius is more like a title. It would be like a Caesar or like a pharaoh. So here's this Darius that comes onto the scene, and he's looking for a way that he can organize his country so that it could operate at maximum capacity. So what he decided to do was that he was going to set 120 different princes. These could be like governors that would be in charge of different areas of their empire. He has 120 different princes that he's going to organize the country underneath uh, their, their authority. And what he does is that he sets three, pro, uh, three presidents over them. And the reason why was this. 
King Darius recognized that when you put people in authority, what, what happens? Sometimes it goes to people's heads. You ever notice that? So what he did was this. He decided to set three presidents over them. One of them was a man by the name of Daniel. The reason why the king was doing it was because at that time, there was evidently there were some people skimming money off the top. They were using their power, their position, and they were going to use it for their own benefit. Notice that he says right at the very end that the king should have no damage. He recognized that in order to run the country effectively, he had to have faithful men that would be men of integrity and character that would oversee the position of all of these government officials. And Daniel was one of them. Now, what's interesting is that as you read on in the passage, you find that there was one man that stood out amongst all of them. It was Daniel. Look at what he says in verse 3. It says, Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes. You might circle that part. Because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now notice this, that it says that, that Daniel was preferred above all the other presidents. What that means is this, is that um, Daniel was a person that distinguished himself above everybody else. Amongst these three presidents that were over all these 120 governors, uh, what you find is that Daniel did what? He constantly proved that he was different than everybody. Does that make you wonder, what is it about Daniel? What did he do that distinguished himself? Well, according to the passage, it says that he had an excellent spirit. What it literally means is this. He had a great attitude. You know how hard it is to find people with a good attitude? Here he is, like he's amongst all these government officials. You can imagine what that would be like. And so what he does is that Daniel was always this guy that he had this positive outlook. He had the experience. He knew what it was like underneath different kings. He had this great experience that he brought to the table. And he had proven himself to be a person of integrity, so much so that when the king was looking for somebody that would not allow for any skimming off the top, that wouldn't allow for any corruption within the government, there was one guy that he thought of that was an easy decision. The easy decision was who? I want somebody like Daniel to be in charge. You're like, well, what was it that would lead him to Daniel? Evidently, when the king was looking for somebody to give some leadership and some authority, he recognized that you want to know one thing that trumps ability? It's integrity. When you can trust somebody to do what they say they're going to do, you know what? That is a good person to put in charge of things. Daniel was a man of integrity. He wasn't superior. He didn't pick him because of his experience, although that would have been a good reason. He picked him because of his moral superiority. He was a man that if he was placed in charge, he would not allow for corruption to happen on his watch. Can I tell you that one of the greatest tests that you'll face in your Christian life and integrity is this. When you get promoted, when you get that position that you always wanted, when your business is doing well and you're noticing that your income is increasing, when you begin to have more people underneath your authority, when you begin to have less accountability, when you begin to have all the perks and the privileges that come with being in a position of power. Did you know that there's a lot of people that can't handle that? Y'all recognize that, right? What happens with government officials is they get put in places and they get this power, they get no oversight from people, and what ends up happening is that they cut corners in order to keep their spot. In order to line their pockets, they'll use it in order to uh, gain an advantage over their opponents. Folks, How do you do when you're promoted, when you get put in a position of authority and you have people underneath you? Do you allow it to go to your head? It's a test. It makes me think of Enron. Anybody remember what happened with Enron? It happened this major company that was based in Texas that was selling their shares at somewhere around $90 a share. Overnight, it crumbled And they found out that the the executives of the company had been lining their pockets with money. 
they had been in such a position of authority and power that it went to their head and they took advantage of it and they took advantage of their employees so much so that they had no retirement left when they were done. It crumbled overnight. Folks, there's some people that can't handle the test of prosperity and promotion. Folks, be careful. The second test that Daniel faced was the test of the private life. Folks, this is where Daniel takes an uptick in my, life, in my eyes because here's this man that they're going to scour his life. Look at what happens in verse 4. It says, Then the presidents and the princes sought to find an occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. What an incredible man. What ends up happening is that because Daniel is going to be exalted to this position, these, these princes, these presidents, they couldn't stand the fact that Daniel was going to be put in this place. Now, what was the problem of why they would go into Daniel's personal life? Here's the reason. They knew that as long as Daniel would be exalted to the second highest position in the kingdom, that meant that they would never be allowed to use their position in the kingdom to line their own pockets, to take money from people. Because as long as Daniel's in that position and they answer to him, what's going to happen? None of that corruption would happen underneath his watch. So they decided that what they would do is that they were going to launch a full-scale attack on Daniel by investigating him. Now imagine if this happened today. They would call a, for a background check of Daniel. They would put a tail on him and they would follow him every place that he went. They would bug his telephone. They would hire private investigators. They would check his tax records, his bank statements. They would check his internet history. They checked everything about Daniel and noticed that what did they find about him? All right, let's try that one more time. What did they find about him? Can you imagine if somebody was to go through your life the way they went through Daniel's and at the end they said, we have nothing on him. As a matter of fact, when you look at this passage, notice that it says any error. That word error is the idea of un unknowingly not completing your task. There was nothing that Daniel left undone that he should have done. This word corruption is the idea of intentional by the will doing something wrong. There was nothing that da Daniel ever did intentionally to do anything wrong. So here's this man. They found that he was what? He was a man that was faithful to the task, that there was nothing that they could dig up on him. Let me ask you, if your life was put underneath a microscope, would they be able to find skeletons in your closet? Would there be sins that would come up that nobody knew about? Would there be things that would be exposed, some hidden sins? If they were to look deeply into your life, listen, folks, Daniel passed the test of his private life. That's amazing. But notice that the other test that he had was the test of adversity. And, folks, this is perhaps one of the most difficult. How do you handle life when people treat you wrong? Daniel is going to be uh, basically run through the mud. They're basically going to come up with things about him in order to get what they want. Notice what happens in verse 5. Then said these men that we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now, you have to give these guys some, some credit. They're really smart. They're going to come up with a plan that, hey, if we can't get Daniel breaking the law, then what we're going to do is this. We're going to make it so that his faith is against the law. That was the only way that they had any chance of catching Daniel in anything. They made his faith illegal. They knew from tailing Daniel that Daniel was a person that daily he would go to his upper room, he would open up the windows, and he would pray three times a day like clockwork. So they decided that they were going to hatch this plan with the king. Notice what happens in verses 6 through 9. It says, And then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. Don't you love that? Like in school, you got those little kids that they suck up to the teachers. That's exactly what happened. All right, and then, and then the presidents of the kingdom, uh, uh, that in, in, inserts mine, okay, except Daniel. Daniel was not a part of that. 
The governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. So the men's plans was this. They, they come before the king, and they have this huge group of men that come in before King Darius. And they say, here's our plans, king. We've decided that we want you to be God for 30 days. Now, that's messed up theology, all right? But they said, well, we're, we're just 30 days, okay? Well, imagine if you're the king. You're thinking, man, this is a great plan. They're gonna make, they must think I'm doing a really good job as king. So they play to his pride, and the king ends up doing what? He signs it into law. Immediately, there is a, a, a change that happens within the country. Notice that from what we read from Daniel chapter 6, this is what blows my mind. You never see Daniel ever fighting back. You never see him begin to use their tactics with the king in order to change the law. Folks, can I tell you, if somebody set out an attack against you, how do you respond to that? Are you tempted to retaliate? Are you? You tempted to fight back? Daniel, he kept his cool. For nearly seven decades, they, they knew the fact that Daniel would not be altered by anything that was signed into law because he was already set on who he was living for. You're like, Ryan, what do you mean? Here's the big question for all of us today, and I hope that I can get your attention back. This is so important. What is it that allowed Daniel to pass the integrity test? You're like, what is it, Ryan? I firmly believe that the key is found in Daniel's name. You're like, what do you mean? Daniel's name means this. God is my judge. If you're going to pass the integrity test, you have to recognize who your life has lived before. You see, when all of the, the kingdom of Persia was going and, and cutting corners and, and doing anything they could to throw Daniel through the mud and to drag him through the mud, we find that Daniel recognized that his life was being lived by, in front of another person, not by the world. His life was being lived in front of God, who was his judge. God was the one that knew his inner being. God was the one that saw what happened. Daniel's life was open before God. Can I tell you, Christians, listen to me. Your life, if you're going to live it in integrity, you have to believe that your life is being lived openly in front of God. If you don't believe that, then you'll be free to do whatever you want, to act in any way that you see fit, Daniel made the decision to live integrity because God was his judge. God sees everything. And folks, if you live your life in such a way that you know God is watching you, you never have to fear what man might see. Let me say that one more time. We need to hear this. If you live with God as your judge, you never have to live in fear of what men might see because God sees everything. Whether it's the thoughts and tense of your heart or whether it be any other thing, folks, listen, we live in a day where we need to recognize that we've been given a name too. Daniel's name meant God is my judge. Did you know that if you're a believer here today, from the moment that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you now have been adopted into the family, and now you are given a name called Christian, a child of God, and you know what that means? I'm to live by my, that name. Have you ever recognized that it takes a lifetime to build a name, but in just one moment you can lose it. I can still remember to this day, um, not a great moment for me, all right? Uh, I was playing Little League baseball and uh, pitching a fit, throwing an attitude. I can remember throwing the bat. Um, I was upset, I struck out and was not happy about it, and I can remember to this day, I threw that bat and I can remember my dad walked all the way, that was not a good moment. My dad walked all the way down from the stands and he came over to me and he, uh, he grabbed my helmet, pulled my face closer to the fence and you know what he said to me? He said, Ryan, you never forget that whatever you do, it reflects on our name.
You know, us as believers, we need to be reminded that the test of integrity, it's difficult, isn't it? None of us here would stand perfect in that area, myself included. But we need to be reminded of if we're going to face that test faithfully and we're going to pass the integrity test, we're living underneath a name, folks, the name that means everything, the Savior that died for us. We want to live our life well for his glory because that's what he's placed us here for, to live out the life of integrity. Now, let's look at the second thing that happened. We've, first of all, we've seen the test of integrity. Now I want us to see the cost of integrity. I don't want to lie to you today. If you choose to live the life of integrity, did you know that it has a cost? Man, some of you shook your head. You're making me nervous. All right, let me say it one more time. Did you know that living a life of integrity might cost you something? Jesus Christ that lived a perfect life, you know what they did to him? They took him, they beat him, they flogged him, and they, they hung him to a cross, although he lived out integrity perfectly, 100%. If you live the life of integrity, it will cost you. Notice the first thing is this. You have to be willing to make the tough decisions. If you're going to live a life of integrity, you're going to be put in places where you got to make a, a hard decision, Right? Notice what happens here in this passage. Look at verse 10. I love this verse. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God. And the key part is this, as he did aforetime. Don't you love that? Daniel, notice that at the very first part of the verse, if you go back, it says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. When Daniel was going to go back to his house to pray, did he know about what had been signed already? He knew it already. Folks, did he, he was put in a hard spot. He was at a very decisive moment in his life where he had to make a decision. Am I gonna live for God? Am I going to live life with him? Or do I live my life based off the law of the land of what some king might tell me to do? Daniel, knowing what he faced of potentially losing his position, his security, potentially his friends, even his life, he chose to exercise integrity to be the person that he was called to be. Daniel did this knowing full well what it might cost him. So what Daniel did is that he decided that he would go to his house, he would open up the windows, he would get down on his knees, and he would pray. But your question is this. If it was like he always did, why wouldn't Daniel, like, couldn't you just take a break for 30 days? If you were faced with the decision that you could be killed by, and placed in a den of lions for praying for 30 days, what excuses would you have been tempted to give? Well, God, I hate to mention this to you, but I've been doing this faithfully about 80 years now. I've been praying three times a day like I've always done. What if I just went on vacation for a month? What if maybe this time I don't close my windows? I'll just lay in bed and, and I'll pray quietly so that nobody can tell what I'm doing. Why wouldn't Daniel do that? Folks, listen to me clearly. Integrity never takes a break. Integrity never goes on vacation. Integrity never cuts the corners. Integrity never takes a pass. It doesn't go with the flow. It doesn't follow the crowd. It stands its ground. Integrity doesn't go by the poles. It lives by principles. It doesn't take a shortcut. It never cuts the corners. It stands true to what is right despite what it might cost. That's what integrity is, folks. Got quiet. Folks, we live in a day where we cut corners and we'll be tempted to say, well, what's the big deal? It's just 30 days. I mean, no. it is a big deal. Because Daniel knew that privately what was, what was uh, fueling his public life was his life with God in prayer. Can I tell you that the reason why Daniel was ready to go to the lion's den was this? 
folks, he got his power from who he was privately. That fueled what he was publicly. Can I say that one more time? Folks, please listen to me. Why would Daniel not give it up? Because in a world that's pagan, in a, a, a place that's filled with pagans, Daniel was fueled by his private life of getting on his knees three times a day and going to God in prayer and asking for his help because he realized though there might be a king that sat in Persia, there was a greater king that sat on the throne of the universe. And that's who he answered to. So Daniel, knowing what it would cost, got on his knees just like he had always done before. If you were to read verses 11 through 13, you find that the crowd shows up. They watch what Daniel does and they run to the king and immediately tell him everything that happened. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says this, Then the king, when he had heard these words, was sore displeased with himself. Why? It was his fault that Daniel got thrown in the lion's den. He's about to lose his most valued person in his entire country. And so he's displeased with himself, and he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is that no decree nor statue which the king established may be changed. Notice what happens. The king wants to change the situation, but he couldn't. You remember this group that was plotting against them? They say, King, you need to remember, you can't do anything about it. We know that you would love to free Daniel from the situation. But according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, what? No law of theirs could ever be changed. You know, I believe that Daniel was willing to make a tough decision. Can I tell you that today it's no different? There might be times where you're in your workplace where they ask you to cut a corner. And you know what you'll have to do? Make a tough decision. Living with integrity might cost you. It could cost you your job. Living with integrity, it might mean that you show up at work and you give a full, uh, full day's work because you know what? That's what the life of integrity, you gotta make tough decisions. Hey folks, listen to me. Daniel passed that test because why? He recognized that his life had to be lived in the power that God provided him. It called him to make the hard decision that his life was being lived before a God that sat on a throne that was higher than the throne of any Persian king. I want you to notice also, not only do you have to be willing to make the tough decision, you also have to be willing to pay the price. Folks, there's a price for living with integrity. Notice what happens in verses 16 and 17. Then the king commanded that they brought Daniel... And cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Your God, whom you service continually, he will deliver you. Now notice that the king, how is it that he knew that Daniel's God would deliver him? Evidently, Daniel had lived an incredible life so much that he believed in Daniel's God. Notice what he says. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet. And with the signet of his lord's, the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. So what happens was this. The cost of Daniel's obedience was what? You're going to be thrown into a den that's filled with lions. Now you're like, you're, you're sitting here and you're reading this through uh, your Sunday school eyes that tells you that Daniel makes it. When Daniel made the decision, he didn't know that he would be saved by an angel. He made the decision knowing that it would potentially be the end of his life. And the thing that's interesting here is that archaeologists have actually discovered dens like these in the Middle East. And what they found was this. The opening, there usually would have a door that was on the top. And these dens would be dug out of the earth, deep into the ground. And normally there would be a petition wall that would be set in the middle. Now, what would happen was this, is that these walls would be built to divide the den in half so that they could get the lines, they could throw food down on one side or the other to get it to move whatever side they wanted to. Now, what would happen is, is that they had a rope that would go down to an iron gate that they could lift up with that rope and it would open up and and the people that were in the den, they would be eaten. Now, according to their tradition, they would always starve their lions when they knew that they were going to have somebody that they were going to be put to death. By the way, liberal scholars, 
blow my mind all the time. They want to say that, well, Daniel, he made it in the lion's den because they were old lions. They didn't have their teeth. Come on. Really? Like that's the best you got? So what had happened to the family that, of the ones that accused Daniel? Did, he, did the lions gum them to death? I mean, what happened? Folks, uh, it wouldn't have been a beautiful way to die. Here's Daniel. He knew the cost. Folks, can I tell you, let me ask you a question. How much is your integrity worth to you? You know, there's a lot of reasons why we don't make the decisions that we should. A lot of times we don't recognize that sacrificing your integrity costs far more more than preserving it. Can I say that one more time? Sacrificing your integrity costs far more than preserving it. You're like, Ryan, what do you mean? Well, Daniel counted the cost. He recognized what the right thing to do was. He was willing to be thrown into a lion's den in order to to live right, to to live his life for his, his God. But folks, it'll cost you. It might cost you a business deal that you know isn't right. It might cost you uh, money. It could cost you a position. It might cost you a promotion. It might cost you a grade. But folks, it can cost you more than that. Uh, One of the people I read about this week is a guy by the name of Bobby Jones. One of the greatest golfers of history. You know, he won 13 majors before he retired at age 28. Pretty incredible. He's the first player to win four major tournaments in one year, and probably one of his greatest legacies that he ever left behind was his integrity. You're like, what do you mean by that? Bobby Jones, when in 1925 at the U.S. Open, he decided that he would take a one-stroke penalty. You're like, right, why? When he was standing over his ball, he believed that he touched it and that uh, according to the rule book, they were to assess a one-stroke penalty for that. The judge ended up telling Bobby Jones, you didn't touch it, I didn't see it. People in the gallery ended up telling Bobby Jones, we didn't see you touch it. Even, even his uh, opponents that were around him said, you really don't need to do it. Bobby Jones said, no, in my heart, I know that I touched it. I'm going to assess myself a one-stroke penalty. I touched it. Did you know that he ended up losing the open by one stroke? You're like, it could have been his 14th open that he had won. Nobody would know. But Bobby Jones said that I would have known. You know, Bobby Jones, he might have lost the open, but he won in integrity. And folks, that should be the desire of every believer. We count the cost because we know the integrity matters. It matters because of who we represent. Now, I want you to look at this last thing and we'll be done. I got to do this quick. Y'all ready? All right, put your seatbelt on because we got to fly through it. Okay, so you've seen, first of all, the test of integrity. We've seen, second of all, we've seen the cost of integrity. Now, let's look at the reward because I don't want you to leave here thinking, well, Ryan, you made it pretty negative when it comes to integrity. Well, folks, there's a reward that comes from living a life of integrity. Notice what happens. First of all is this, your testimony is preserved. When you look at it, verses 18 through 20, you'll find that the king, he was never able to sleep at night. He couldn't eat that night because he knew an innocent man was in the lion's den. So what you find is that when you come to verses 21 and 23 through 23, you'll find that Daniel begins to, uh, the king runs out to the lion's den and he yells out to Daniel and he says, Daniel, has your God saved you? And I want you to look at what he says. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angels and has shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me for as much as before him, what? Innocency was found in me. And also before you, O king, have I done no hurt. What happened was, was this. Folks, this is the incredible part. Is that what happens here is that the king runs there because he hadn't been sleeping all night. Well, what was happening with Daniel? 
He was in the lion's den. We don't know if he was sleeping. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But here's my point is this. I can guarantee you Daniel wasn't laying awake wondering if anybody would find out something wrong that he had done before. Hey, you want to know one of the greatest rewards of living a life of integrity is? You never have to worry about what somebody might find out about you. His testimony was superb. Everybody that knew Daniel knew that this is not a man that compromises. Pretty incredible when you think about it. The second thing is this. Your enemy is proven false. You know what eventually will come out? You notice that Daniel never had to fight his battle. That's what I love about Daniel. I'm tempted that when people call me out or for stuff that I know I didn't even do, I'm tempted to fight that, to push against it. You know what Daniel did? He stood back and let God deal with it. God deals better with people than we ever do. Notice what he says here in this passage, verse 24. It says, and the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. So it means that basically the lions got a hold of them before they ever hit the bottom. Hey, folks, uh, everybody recognized the hidden agenda of who? All the people that had accused Daniel, it became clear. Immediately, everybody knew. Do you think the story of Daniel ever went out to other people, that they heard that there was a man thrown in the lion's den, that the lions uh, didn't eat him? Everybody recognized instantly, because Daniel even proclaimed it, God found me innocent, and you know what he found his enemies? The enemies were guilty. Folks, when you live your life of integrity, I'm not saying it will happen in this life, but folks, one day every wrong will be made right. God's the judge. Give him time to work. And folks, one day you'll find that your integrity, your, even your enemies will be proven false. Notice the last thing is this, and most importantly, your God will be glorified. What happens is this, if you read verses 25 through 26, you find that the king ends up sending out a decree and saying this, I, I hereby decree that uh, throughout our entire kingdom, every person will fear the God of Daniel. Everybody will find that, that Daniel's God is the sovereign one. He rules forever. And folks, that comes from the mouth of a pagan king. How is it that this pagan king knows the God of Daniel so well? Can I tell you why? Listen to me, folks. When you live a life of integrity, people begin to see God through your life. When they saw how Daniel was unwilling to compromise his life, people began to see God working in and through him. And you know what they came to do? They ended up coming to meet the God of Daniel. You know one of the greatest privileges that you have as a believer is to allow God's light to shine through you. That people would see that you live a life of integrity and they come to know the God that you serve. They can begin to meet Jesus Christ in your life. Can I tell you that Daniel's life actually is a picture of the life of Christ? You're like, how? Daniel's a picture of Jesus Christ who was innocent and envied and hated and was condemned to die. He was let down in the pit of death and a stone was rolled across the entrance and an official seal was placed across the stone. But listen, Daniel was guilty, Jesus Christ was innocent. Daniel was delivered from death, Jesus Christ was delivered through death. Daniel was guilty, Jesus was innocent, Daniel didn't die. He came out alive, but Jesus did die and he came back to life. And folks, can I tell you that Daniel's life closely resembles the life of Christ? If you're here today and you say, Ryan, I've blown it in integrity. Can I give you some good news? Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again from the dead so that you could have a brand new start, a brand new life. If you've ever failed and you say, Ryan, I, I, I've, I've sacrificed my family, I've given up my name, I've blown it. Guess what? There's grace found in Jesus Christ because he died on the cross so that you wouldn't have to suffer the consequences for it. 
In Jesus Christ, you get a brand new clean slate. You can start again today. If you've never met him, you can trust him as your savior and you'll find that your past can be forgiven. Can I close with this one last thing? I've found that character is not a popular topic in America. I actually was a little bit grieved inside my heart to come with this message a little bit today because I know it's, it's a needed topic. You know, one of the places that I would love to visit, not right now, the Great Wall of China. With the coronavirus, I don't want to go. But um, I would love to go and visit it just to see what it would look like. You know, uh, when they built it, uh, they never, it was built so long that nobody ever went around it. It was built so well that nobody could ever go through it. Um, it was, it's an incredible feat when you look at it that for the first hundred years that it was, after it was built, did you know that it, the enemy got through three different times? You're like, Ryan, how in the world could an enemy ever get through a wall that was made like that? You see, the problem was in the flaw that they focused so much on the enemy outside that they never saw the enemy that was on the inside. You see, the ones that kept the gate were bribed three different times. And they opened the gate so that the enemy could come right through. Can I tell you that right now, one of our greatest enemies is not necessarily what's on the outside. A lot of times our greatest enemy is the person on the inside. One of the greatest struggles of the Christian life I've found is not necessarily the enemy I face, although it's a great enemy. One of the greatest enemies I face is the enemy of myself. Folks, we have to battle with our inner person and ask God to mold the inner person into who he wants us to be. I want to ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes. You know, when we hear a message like this, we always wonder, you know, what do I do with this? I wonder how many of you out there would say, Ryan, I've struggled with the integrity issue. I've failed. I would love his grace. Would you allow God to deal with your heart this morning to begin to ask, God, would you forgive me for that and help me to move past it? Maybe you're here and you say, I haven't been willing to pay the price. I've compromised. You can have a brand new start today. If you're here and you've failed and, and, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can't live the life of integrity apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from God's help. And so what you need is you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the first step.